Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for listening in. This is uh, another episode of Beyond the Bite. Um, so before we delve into something uh, very interesting and important today, uh, I think me and Dimi wanted to share some important information. Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, so what we're about to discuss in today's episode is a DIY treatment protocol, do it yourself. But remember that we are not medical professionals. We're not TMD specialists. Our podcast is designed purely for informative discussions and, uh, you know, raising awareness rather than replacing genuine medical or dental advice that you get out there from the specialists. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, you know, your health is very important and, uh, you know, I, everybody that has some experience with this problem can understand that your individual situation can absolutely vary, um, even between patients. So it's essential that the first step, you know, to consult with a licensed medical professional or dentist uh, before making any decisions, uh, you know, based on the powerful information we're going to talk about today. Right. Okay. So DIY protocol. Can you give us a little backstory about uh, how did you learn about it? What does it come from? What is it used for? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so this was, uh, you know, a couple of years ago on uh, on Facebook on a lot, a lot of groups, um, you know, discussing mm-hmm. uh, this issue and various solutions we were being put forth. And uh, a patient, actually, someone named Marcello, came onto the scene, and he was there on all the groups. And uh, he had uh, come up with this protocol. Uh, he actually had a website as well, where he had devised a three-stage approach to uh, treating dystonia. So this was something right. that he had developed apparently through, uh, you know, a dental intervention by a dentist. He was a healthy mm-hmm. man before that, and uh, uh, you know, he had uh, someone had worked on his teeth and. They had changed, uh, there's something called the cusp equilibration. I'm not sure what the word is, but mm-hmm. the dentist tries to make the bite fit. And uh, this was actually done to me as well, where they use articulating paper or something and, and uh, they drill down on your cusps. And this is to provide a more balanced bite, uh, or you know, right. that's the theory at least. Yeah. Um, but uh, he claimed that this had uh, induced uh, um, dystonia in him. And uh, so he had devised a way to actually... Uh, fix himself rather, uh, find a way to uh, cure him of that. Um, because, you know, he had tried the normal routes and, you know, nothing seemed to work for him. So yes. his uh, protocol is uh, supposed to be a non-invasive, non-traumatic, reversible, cost-effective, and a, 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 and a compatible uh, program. You know, that once you finish the protocol with the splints and, and uh, when we'll be getting into more detail, uh, eventually you will be able to uh, go back, you know, to work with the dentist and 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 finish the case, really, essentially, and and, and go back to a, a full life. Um, so this, it it addresses not just dystonia, but actually a wide range of symptoms and conditions, uh, including right. something that you know anybody that has progressed to a more um, more dangerous level of of this issue can you know probably connect with. So this includes like uh, cervical dystonia, um, postural collapse. Uh, cranial collapse, um, and you know he claimed even some levels of Tourette's and Parkinson's, and uh, it's supposed to be a holistic approach um, that gets to the root causes. Now, right. before we go any further, I do want to emphasize that uh, you know when I speak about this on like you know from my own experience of this. Now, obviously, if you've heard the previous episodes, you would have understood you know what my symptoms are. 
and I certainly do not have um, dystonia or Tourette's or Parkinson's or any of that, but I absolutely do have postural collapse, you know, uh, cranial collapse, and um, just a complete imbalance in the body, really. Um, you know, I would hear my neck clicking all the time, and so this, actually, I've been doing this protocol. I've actually known about this for a long time since, you know, Marcello put out this information many years ago, and um, you know, today the website doesn't exist. He has decided to take it away and move on with his life. But uh, mm -hmm. um, I still remember all the details, right? Because I've been, you know, working on this problem for years now. So I have pretty much all the information. You know, I remember most of it. So right. um, when I started, uh, I think we talked about a little bit about this in the first episode, where you know where I am in my treatment. So. I, um, almost at the end of my orthodontics, right, I've been doing uh, Invisalign to fix some of the um, damage or the molar kind of, uh, the, the molars um, have kind of protruded out, you know, after I finished the DNA, I did the AGA. So the orthodontics, the Invisalign I did was to bring all the teeth back or into a relative better position, you know, so that the open bite that I have uh, improves. Mm -hmm. Now... As I've already gone through the, you know, the, the uh, you know, when the dentist almost 10 years ago ground down my cusps um, to apparently make the bite fit better. And, uh, you know, I've been have I've had a lot of wear and tear on my molars. So all of this has resulted in like a situation where I will never be, uh, I just don't have a stable bite. You know, no matter how close I get all the teeth to, you know, to come close together. Yes. And even my dentist agrees, you know, he completely is in the knowledge of, um, where I am, what I'm doing, and he agreed that absolutely, like, once we finish this orthodontics, you're going to have to do something to, you know, to put, uh, to, to put, put it back all together, pretty much, you know, to have the, um, like, maybe have onlays or something like that. Yes. So for me, I didn't want to jump into that without res resolution of all my symptoms. And I still felt uh, pain in the neck and, and the shoulders and all kinds of issues where I just felt the bite was not right. It was definitely better after I had done the orthodontics. But it was far, far away from what a normal bite should feel like. You know, it's something that it's like it's playing on your head all the time with the symptoms. So I've been following this protocol for about two months now. And I have to say that in almost 10 years of walking around with like uh, barely a bite with uh, with so many issues and just just not being able to feel normal at all, really, that um, for the past two months, I have had tremendous improvement, honestly, with my own uh, symptoms of the body. My my body is like more symmetrical than ever. I I, I walk very comfortably now. I had uh, terrible uh, trouble walking all the time, and uh, I would uh, you know my my legs always feel uneven. I would get pain in the joints, the hips would feel uneven. I think. Let me just interrupt you there. Sorry, just for one second. You've said that you've been doing this for the last few months, but you're obviously familiar with it for much longer than that. In the sense that you've been doing. Uh, stage one of it for quite a while before as well is that correct yeah absolutely i mean uh, like i said this is a very old uh i mean it's been a few years you know this is definitely yes, not something yes. that's like new information really um this was you know marcello was very active maybe like 2016 17 somewhere around then so mm -hmm. a lot of people were exposed to the information that he was you know he was openly giving out this information there was a website so i had tried it back then as well but um i do have to you know point out that uh, like we talked about, I have, was the I'm an extractions case. So for me, actually, I was just not my front teeth used to hit, you know, because I had not reopened my bicuspid spaces. That uh, 
without like, I, and I just couldn't do it. Like I was just, there was too many issues going on just on the dental level for me to make a splint and wear sure. it. Sure. So now that I finally reopened, I finally done the orthodontics to bring yeah. the molars back into the bone. They're not flared out anymore. I just mm -hmm. thought that this, this is the right time really to give myself the correct, um, the correct occlusion, you know, with the use of a splint and then to find that occlusion, you know, not just it's because it take, it took a long time for me to get here. It will take a long time to, to go back to normal, to find that right occlusion. Right. Okay. So I guess we could say that before, when you attempted to do it, you didn't have as much of a success with it because structurally your teeth were not ready for such a treatment, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and we'll be getting into it. So, you know, if you still have for listeners, if you still have any questions, you know, I hope that as we talk more about it, you understand what I mean. But essentially for me, my front teeth were over extruded. The back teeth were intruded. Um, it's called a, I think it's called a bicuspid drop off. And mm. uh, it's very common in patients who have extraction. So mine was on a more extreme level because of all the other interventions I had done before this. And so it certainly made like any wearing any kind of splint impossible. It's not just the do-it-yourself splint. When sure. I tried to wear even like, you know, many uh, protocols of like actual dentists, they would give me a splint. It was very difficult for me to wear it because um, it would give me pain in the teeth and things like that. Sure, sure. I myself am familiar with the this protocol because uh, when I started learning about all these uh, troubles that I found myself in, uh, you know, I actually got in touch with Marcelo back then. I'm sure you were in touch with him as well, right? Speaking to him when he was still... Yeah, so he uh, had a Facebook around. group where he actually would, like, you could message him and he would reply to the posts. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So we're talking maybe five, six years ago now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, myself, I've studied his protocol... Uh, and I've actually experimented with the therapy myself. Uh, but we can get back to that later. Okay, so let's get into it then. Um, you've mentioned that there was three stages of, of the protocol. The first stage is TMJ stabilization. Can you just explain why exactly is it important and vital as, as stage yeah. one? So, I mean, it's like the foundation of the treatment, really. Um, you know, the TMJ joint plays a, like a significant role and, you know, in so many uh, you know, so many things in our body. I think anybody who has issues with the joint can, can relate to that. So, yeah. and especially in, um, and obviously, you know, he focused on, uh, mechanical movement disorders, disorders like dystonia and postural issues and neck asymmetry. So, and yeah. it's like this joint actually plays a very important role in, in keeping you in balance, you know, and preventing these kind of issues. Absolutely. So when we start out to fix these kind of issues and, um, you know, we need to address that. We need to stabilize the joint first. So okay. what we do is that you use something called, a, 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 what Marcello used was a, a gelb rectifier, you know, and uh, which, you know, it's actually a type of splint. And so, for example, but you can really use anything that covers all of your lower teeth and you're going to be using some sort of material on top of that. And uh, so, for example, I use something called, a, I have a, a retainer tray for the lower teeth. And yeah. I use uh, polymorph, which is like a plastic, a, you know, a safe plastic that you can uh, mold and play around with when you drop it in hot water, but it solidifies at normal temperature. So this is like, this is just one way of doing it. And you can actually buy this on Amazon, honestly. Um, so what he actually did was, you can, you can use any basement, really. So he used something called a gelb rectifier um, with, uh, with, this, which is with partial coverage, and it's an indexed lower splint. 
right? It's not right. a flat splint that a lot of uh, people associate with, with uh, you know, TMD splint. And no, this is an index splint where it's it's it fully receives uh, the upper teeth, all the upper teeth in in uh, in the pits uh, of the lower uh, of the lower splint. Sure. So sure. this is because if you you use something that you want your teeth to go back into uh, when you bite down the occlusion should go back to the exact same position every time and fully being received by the lower jaw so we use the uh, the splint which uh, you know Marcello referred to as uh, the gelb rectifier right yeah and uh, and you uh, use this to recapture the uh, condyles and the discs you know in patients that obviously have this um, the discs are out of place the condyles are sometimes um, also dislocated so this would be the first step. Okay, so from the practical aspect of it, like what were the requirements, the supplies? Can we talk about the splints? Uh, how did you approach it? The ideal way that uh, that Marcello recommended was to use two base splints, right? Mm -hmm. This is actually something that I did as well. If you can have two uh, splints, then you know you make you wear one and then you build the next one, right? So. If you have any issues with the next one you're building, you can always rebuild it because you already have one to wear already. So um, you have two base splints and then you can use uh, either polymorph or if you have access to like dental resin, uh, you can absolutely use that as well. Um, the, the I use Personally, I use polymorph because it's much easier to obtain and just easier to work with. Sure. And um, the idea is that uh, you you uh, have the base splint and now you're going you're gonna to make... The, uh, the bite impressions on the polymorph on top of that splint, right? So you're gonna use, uh, when you use polymorph, it's all about just using a cup of hot water. Uh, it doesn't even have to be boiling really. And then you drop the polymorph and uh, polymorph is a type of plastic that uh, when it's in hot water or any hot, you know, hot temperatures, it uh, becomes like pliable, like almost like a clay-like substance. And yes. then once you, you know, record your bite, and you let it cool down, it's uh, it's solid. You know, you're good to go. In fact, I'm wearing the splint right now, so, you know. Right, okay, got it. So moving on then, I know that the bite registration is like the key element of uh, stage one splint therapy. So let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like the key point. Um, uh, because when you, the bite uh, registration is, you're, is you determining where you're gonna place um, your entire relationship between the upper teeth and lower teeth, right? It's you deciding the occlusion. And this is critical because it achieves a gradual decompression uh, of the TMJ. Uh, so, you know, which is obviously out of pa out of position and compromised in, in, in you know, most of patients that experience these symptoms. So the first step is, uh, it's called the phonetic bites, right? Is the different phonetic sounds uh, o, A, you know, just when you, the position that your jaws go to, when you actually say those sounds, like you can actually try it, our listeners can try it as well. When you say O, your mandible uh, automatically shifts to a, a more midline position. And uh, we have other uh, phonetic sounds as well, but we're going to start with just uh, talking about the O, because that's what the protocol asks for, that you use the O phonetic bite registration technique. So you, you apply the fresh polymorph, uh, on top of your splint, right, base splint, put it in your mouth, and then you close it in an O position. And you can just let your jaw protrude, because when you do the O position, your lower jaw protrudes slightly, and you can be relaxed about this. And then you slowly yes. uh, bite down on the polymorph, and this will allow the impressions of your upper cusps 
to fully be embraced into into the uh, into the polymorph, right? You will see the, all the impressions when you after you bite and you you know open your mouth again. Now, right. this technique is to ensure that the mandible and the condyles are positioned correctly to unjam, yes. you know, the articulation and to allow the discs eventually, I mean, not just in one session, to, to recover to a healthy position. So, Right, okay. And uh, what about the position that you do it in? Do you do it seated? Do you do it standing? I recall uh, back in the day when I was experimenting with it, uh, Marcella's recommendation was to do it in a seated position with an upright posture yeah so this was the original one like i said um even while the groups were active and all that marcella was always uh thinking and, and trying to come up with better versions of it you know like he was always right. trying to improve on the on the protocol even though he i'm sure must have started out with the same way of with the seated position um so later on i remember he had recommended that it's better to do it standing up um okay and uh and also to you know to bend your neck well again this is something that i have been experimenting with with and it's really been helpful for me but i personally use a standing up position and mm -hmm. i also try to focus on stretching the neck because that's where for me i've had a lot of um, you know, I've been with no bite for so long that uh, the back of the neck has become incredibly weak for me. And this is like something that's been pointed out by a lot of, uh, you know, medical professionals as well. So I wanted to really, um, you know, to, to target that area. So uh, I personally do it standing up. But again, I, I, I think you can, you know, do it both ways, really. I mean, he, he later on, you know, the position was you can do it sitting down or standing up. I actually recall also that uh, there was a suggestion that you do a couple of stretches and a couple of exercises for better results. Do you do any of that before you do the uh, the registration? Yeah, absolutely. Because remember, when you are you are your body starts to compensate um, over the years, right. and the the longer the longer number of years you've been in a compromised position, you know your body does its best. Uh, to kind of like keep you upright and functioning. And, and I mean, yes, so we experience pain and other symptoms, but uh, a lot of compensations have that, that happen that you don't see actually. For me personally, like uh, my neck became incredibly weak. Um, I started uh, using the muscles in below the throat really to stabilize the neck because I didn't have any uh, bite. My molars were not in touch. And so, um, you know, like a lot of uh, muscles become overactive or some become underactive, they become weak. So it's very important to stretch um, and, you know, especially to stay active really, because once you give yourself a new bite, a new splint and you're wearing it, then you can't just sit on your couch and expect, <laughs> expect miracles. You need to be very active. And this is what I try to practice, even though I do have a lot of limitations with what I can do, but it's absolutely important. Yeah, you need to stretch, you need to do some basic workouts, something to keep yourself active. Yes, unfortunately, long term, the results from such stretches and exercises, they won't stick. However, it does make logical sense to do some light muscle work, uh, release some of the muscles, do some light stretching, strengthening of the weak muscles that are uh, that, that are a result of, of the compensation that is happening in your body and then do the obite registration because the obite registration uh, the idea of it is that it would eventually it would bring you more to that balanced uh, neutral position where all of your muscles are working as they should in your body yeah absolutely and I think I also want to point out that this is a suggestion that um, 
that he had left behind in, in the original protocol was to walk eight kilometers a day. <laughs> Every time you have a, a new byte registration, that is your byte is changing, um, you need to walk for eight miles, eight kilometers, I'm sorry, every right. single day. And yes. I mean, I know this is like, this is crazy for like, you know, that's a lot, definitely. But um, like, I absolutely try to do that. I try to um, at least do maybe, maybe three, four kilometers a day, especially on the days where I make a new bite registration. So the occlusion has shifted already. So I want my body to get used to this new position. And sure. um, it's but, very important that you try to normalize it by, you know, obviously it, it helps if you can do more advanced exercises and stretches and things like that but if there's limitations to you because of your health then at least the simplest thing you can do is really go for really long walks you know it's a great way right see the problem i see with this is that i'm not saying for everyone but for many people that are suffering from the tmga dysfunction their pelvis will also be rotated uh, and will not be able to employ the right muscles when they walk in because walking you know gait it's basically switching from side to side from left to right okay and uh, if your pelvis is rotated the distribution of the weight will not longer be equal and the muscles that are supposed to be turning on and turning off when you walk will not longer function in that proper manner because they will be now working to stabilize you in that so-called new position where you're stuck on one side for instance, if you're stuck on your right side, very often you will find that your right pel right uh, psoas muscle is going to be extremely tight. The glute will also be tight and weak, but it's not because it's weak because you haven't worked worked out enough for that glute. It's because the muscles are working very hard to stabilize you in that position because of that rotated pelvis. And why is the pelvis rotated? It's because you have issues with your jaw. And so for the, the sensory input that goes into your brain has now been sort of hijacked, <laughs> if you like, and your brain is no longer is not longer able to determine the correct position for your body. So it will do what it can to stabilize you, but of course it's going to be a faulty stabilization in the sense that you will be stuck on one side. So I do think that walking can be quite damaging if you're in a such state uh, for your joints, for your muscles, for your ligaments, not to mention that it's going to be quite tiring uh, walking long distances if you're stuck in that position. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I even even before I started this protocol, my my hips were really twisted and shifted. Right. Um, in fact, I regularly see osteopaths, like good ones, you know, very competent ones, and but even they would uh, because I would go in to the office in such a twisted way, they would be like, "I think one of your legs is much longer than the other. I think this is like a a defect from." It's like from birth, right? Because I'm so twisted. I know I don't blame them. And and they work on me. And, and like I've had, this is like an actual experience of mine where at the end of it, uh, the, at the end of the osteopathic session, they're just like, huh, I think you're right. I don't think your legs are, one is longer than the other. I think I think you're just, you were just that twisted because now that I've gotten into a better position, like your legs are quite level, you know? Your yeah, feet are absolutely. Level, so. absolutely. And unfortunately, the results won't last because the minute you start walking again in that uh, crooked position because the because of everything that's going on uh, above the neck, with the jaw, it's, you know, I've, I've, I've certainly experienced that too when you would go to the kinesiotherapist or a manual therapist. And, you know, for half an hour afterward, you feel like, you know, you're like a newborn. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, yeah, the results point. don't last. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with people that have, especially our, to our listeners in the U.S., I know it's very popular to go to 
um, you know, uh, people that add, uh, that adjust your atlas, your atlas position. Mm, um, yes. Because I've certainly done that myself. Uh, this is, I would say it's safer than probably normal chiropractors that are like, you know, the, which is more like, you know, the, the, the motions they do. Yeah, quite aggressive. Yeah. So this is a lot more gentle. They're just directly working on your neck. There's barely any force. And they're trying to atlas, adjust your atlas to a better position. Um, sure. Now, look, I do think that there's a good intention behind it, right? Your atlas needs to be shifted. For most of us, it is it is uh, being pulled in one way or the other because the, the bite is just not there. And that is needed, actually, to keep the atlas stable. And we don't have that. Um, but it, just adjusting the atlas alone, unfortunately, won't solve the problem. Because when I had mine uh, adjusted, you know, many years ago, I, I used to regularly visit someone who would do that. And uh, I felt much better. I mean, like, I, my body felt so symmetrical. I could walk comfortably. Legs, hands, everything feels so balanced. But it's like you can never stop because it will keep going out because you, yeah. you, everything else is completely off balance. Um, so... Just focusing on that one part, unfortunately, is not going to keep you there unless you see the guy adjusting it every like tw twice a week, twice a week or something like that. Well, Atlas Bone actually is very related to, uh, to the TMJ joint. And um, if it's just fixated to one side or the other, it's asymmetrical. It's a problem. But it's far and more much worse if it's constantly unstable. In other words, it keeps shifting from left to right. It's like it's not stable yeah. and it's uh, what they call it unstable. That's much worse. Then that actually causes far more severe damage uh, you know, as years go by. So if it's just stuck to one particular position, it, it needs to be fixed, of course. But if it's unstable, it keeps shifting from left to right, you're going you're gonna to be experiencing loads of symptoms. Yeah, I mean, that's result. something that I actually started experiencing once they started... Uh, you know, messing around with that really because because uh, yeah. it's like you're you're you know you're again as we talk about the compensation, if your occlusion is off and and things like that, sometimes your body is is not in the right position, but you don't really feel any symptoms. You know, you still sure. you kind of go on. So when I first started with this you know this problem, I had a lot of issues. Um, and again, I don't want to go too much into detail about it because we already talked about it in the first episode. But the the neck felt. Uh, like there was no problem. Obviously, the neck was not in good shape, but I didn't feel the symptoms till they started playing around with the neck. They started adjusting the atlas because every time they put it back, it now that you've been, it becomes sort of like more mobile. Like that's how I felt, you know. And yeah. it would uh, like I would literally start hearing clicking in my neck when I'm like, if I suddenly look down, I would hear a click, or mm -hmm. if I look up, you know. These things started actually after they started trying to correct the atlas and put it back into the correct place. Uh, because you're not addressing the root cause, you know, you're trying to fix the symptoms without actually addressing the root cause. And in my case, it started, I started hearing clicking in my neck all the time. And so this is what actually led to me quitting um, that treatment. So my guess would be that it was fixated in the wrong position, but it was like fixed or semi-fixed. But what they started doing is they started mobilizing it and it became unstable. It would be shifting. And, you know, as a result, you'd hear all the clicks and experience all the symptoms. That's just my guess. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's that's my assumption as well. Right. And uh, just to come back to that point I made earlier regarding the posture and the gait, there's actually an interesting test uh, or an observation that uh, anyone can do right. uh, to understand the influence of the jaw uh, on the body. Uh, what you can do is just stand up straight, 
as straight as you can, as upright as you can. Uh, close your eyes and shift your jaw to to the side. Let's say it's your right side, for example. And then see if you feel like a subtle movement or subtle change in the weight distribution of your body to that same side. And then you can do the same same thing with your left side. Uh, sure. Yeah. See if you feel that change in the body weight distribution, right? So, I mean, this could show you how much how much your jaw can influence uh, the rest of your body position. Uh, and if you are fixated, if you're locked on one side, if the jaw is locked uh, and shifted, you know, there is a very big chance that the body will also be shifted uh, to the side. And then the body, uh, from the jaw down, there will be like a chain effect affecting uh, the other muscles right. because they will now be used to stabilize you in that so-called new position. Right, so very often we'll see uh, shoulders being uh, not on the same level, pelvis rotated, uh, twist of the spine to one side, and then the ribcage trying to bring it back to the opposite side, uh, resulting uh, also in a functional scoliosis. Uh, they'll have tight psoas muscle on one side, usually tighter than the other. Glutes will not longer be balanced. One glute is usually going to be tighter. Same with glute medius muscles. Uh, QL on one side is going to be usually very tight. Um, neck issues that we mentioned earlier. They will, uh, sometimes they can also develop uh, the winging of the scapula. Uh, also rib cage flare, where the rib cage is going to be even visually asymmetric. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so on. So you yeah. will be just stuck on one side that you cannot get out of because the jaw is locked. And you can develop more symptoms as a result. Uh, even with your like internal organs, compression and brain fog, because you're now like your whole nervous system has been hijacked by this new position that your body has now has now uh, adapted to, just to stabilize you somewhat. And until you can get neutral, until you can unlock yourself from that position, you know these symptoms will just pile up together. And you have to remember, you have to live. You have to not only lay. Uh, or stand in this position, but you're moving because every day you make thousands of movements, but you're making them in that wrong position. And, you know, this is what I, you know, coming back to the point I was making earlier regarding the gate, you're walking in the wrong position, technically speaking, because uh, your body is shifted. Of course, it's not doing it uh, by its own choice. It's because it's uh, stuck in that position. Sure. I mean, I'm not saying, of course, that everyone who has a TMJ dysfunction will necessarily develop this new position and will have all the symptoms that I've mentioned. Uh, but PRI, Postural Restoration Institute, they talk about this uh, adaptive position. They refer to it as BC pattern, right uh, brachial chain pattern. Um, and uh, there could be other reasons why the body adapts this new position. Sure. Uh, you know, in the PRI terms, there could be uh, feet, there could be eye issues, there could be other underlying problems that could be causing the body to adapt this new position. But the chances are, I mean, if you see yourself uh, asymmetrical, you know, you have one shoulder lower than the other, you have issues with the pelvis uh, and other symptoms that I've mentioned, and you've had uh, orthodontic treatment you had you have history of 
uh, dysfunction of the TMJ, you know, chances are that is the reason uh, why you end up in that uh, adaptive new position where you're stuck on one side. And I can speak about it from like my own direct experience because for years I was stuck in that position. And to be fair, I still am, but nowhere near to the same extent as I was before. Uh, and the reason, the underlying cause was was the jaw. For me, it's definitely the jaw. Um, of course. And, yeah. uh, I just wanted to point this out really because, because not every specialist that you will go and see, unfortunately, knows... Uh, the reason why it happens uh, and they might do some good like in terms of stretching or releasing the muscle prescribe some exercises but you know these on a long run will probably not fix the issue and they will probably not bring you back to the neutral state where you're able to freely switch from right to left side um, and uh, until you fix that root 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 cause and you can do all the techniques and uh, exercises in the world. I mean, PRI have quite a lot of techniques, but until that root issue, root cause is addressed, uh, you know, chances are, you know, the body will be stuck uh, in, in that pattern. So, yeah, we're not going to get into it anymore because it will take quite a while to discuss all the uh, pieces of the puzzle. I just wanted to make a point on this. Yeah, absolutely. I think most people know this kind of you know in the subconsciously understand all this it's just that they can't put it all into into like a, a cohesive idea you know most people that experience this problem they understand what we're talking about absolutely and the people that have experienced it they will understand but for example manual therapists and kinesiotherapists i'm not saying all of them but many of them will neglect how important the jaw is if it's shifted to to the side uh, you know, it's your body will will immediately feel it, but they will try to just work with the muscles. Of course, you know they that's what you're there for. They, they work on your muscles, but they're not addressing the root cause, as we said earlier. Um, okay, so let's get back to the protocol. Um, how often do you need to do the registrations of the uh, opposition bite? Yeah, so. Uh, it depends, really. It depends on where you are at, uh, you know, the, the protocol. Initially, when you need to do it, it could be as frequently as every day, you know, because you're just starting out and there's a lot of ground to cover, really. So, for example, when I started two weeks ago, I felt like I would make a splint, I would let the polymorph harden, and, uh, you know, I would wear that splint all day, but I could already feel the shift. As uh, because remember, the O position is to bring you back to center, and we're gonna. The idea behind this is you iteratively do it over and over until your body actually goes back to symmetry. Really, and, you know, in a in a layman's term, that's what we're trying to do. So it could be as frequent as every day early on, and uh, that was certainly you know what I felt my body needed. I would wear the splint, and within a day, really, I would feel um, my my uh, my occlusion had shifted already. It was not going mm -hmm. back into the pits that I had registered uh, the day before. And so, but obviously as you go through this, you will start to stabilize and you will start to not feel the need uh, to, to make a new bite uh, every day, for example, right? I slowly sure. progress to about every three days. And right now I'm on, a, I'm on a timetable about 10 days. Every 10 days is when I feel the need to, uh, because slowly, my, uh, the, uh, it's not, it's not, the cusps don't feel like they fit anymore. Um, mm. when I bite down, it, it's not going into the cusps I had, the, uh, 
the indexing that I had recorded on the polymorph and it uh, shifted away a little bit. And it could be ever so slight, you know, just maybe like a millimeter off. Then you know, okay, it's probably time to make another new one. Okay. And then uh, another question, which is, I think is quite important, is how much height? Because uh, obviously polymorph, you can you can adjust the height of it, right? How much height do you start with? Yeah, point? I guess, again, this is something that, um, you know, I, it, it really depends on your individual needs. Um, because it depends from case to case for, um, the, for me personally, I didn't use a lot to start out with. I actually already have an open bite. So I just yes. gave myself enough height so that I don't have a, a open bite anymore, really. Um, but I, I think the idea is to not start anything with anything crazy. You know, you can start yes. small and, um, and you have to remember that whatever you start out with, even that can be reduced over time. So if you, uh, if you, it, it, the idea is that for people that have no intrusion of the molars or anything like that, we're not trying to add a lot of height just for the sake of it. We're just using that, this as a, as a lever really to kind of, uh, to, to put you back into position. And, and, and so, you know, you can keep it as, uh, as low as you want, really. It's exactly what it is, what you said. It's a lever to give the support support to the joint so that you can you can get some relief but of course you need to do it frequently because the body will be changing the position especially if it's been stuck in a, in the wrong position for months or years um you can't you can't start with like as you said like crazy height you can you can adjust it i guess based on how you feel but i do remember the protocol saying that with time you you, you can reduce the height and in fact you need to um yeah yeah absolutely i mean for uh the uh, again the idea when you want to we can, we can we're going to be talking about that down the line but when you want to finish the case you know you don't want to you don't want big you know ugly huge heights and splints and in, in your teeth <laughs> so you know yeah. it's absolutely imperative that even if you start out with a little bit more height so that you feel better initially and usually uh most tmd splints add height um you know even if you go to a, a dentist that makes you a splint they will add height because that actually it helps relieve some of the tension in the joints and uh, it will probably reduce, uh, you know, for people that experience popping and clicking, it helps. So, yeah, it also stretches your neck, right? Like if you add height, many people will experience this relief because it stretches your ver like your, your muscles um, on the back of the neck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's nice, but uh, remember you have to, if you're going through this protocol, you're going to have to uh, eventually, you know, go back into uh, adapting that into your own teeth. So don't do anything too crazy with the height. I, I certainly have a very um, small height that I use with a polymorph, certainly only covering the open bite that I have naturally and, and nothing more. Sure, sure. Okay, so to summarize, uh, basically you do the O-bite registration at the start, you do as often as every day. Uh, okay, um, then what? So at this point, I also wanted to point out to something that uh, when you make the OBITE registrations, um, at the very beginning, it's also important to, uh, to remove the outer uh, uh, impressions, outer cusps. So when sure. you bite down on the polymorph, what you need to do is you will have, uh, open your mouth again, all the impressions of your upper teeth, you know, yeah. will be recorded on the, uh, on the cusps that have been created on the polymorph. Yeah. Take out while the it's still hot. Yeah, yeah, while it's still hot. Take out the splint and use something flat like a ruler or the edge of a spoon and just yes. press on the outer cusps 
you will see impressions of all your upper teeth on the on the polymorph. You need to use something sure. uh, with with a flat uh, flat side, and then just press uh, on the outer cusps on both sides, right? So all you're having, and this actually is also allowing for better uh, better. Um, uh, it's what according to the protocol, it's supposed to allow for better uh, cranial bone movement, you know. But uh, on a practical level, really, it just it just feels more comfortable, honestly. So. Um, so that you don't feel fully locked in every time you close and open your mouth. You know, it allows sure. for, it, it tells your lower jaw to go to a specific specific position every time you close, but it doesn't kind of force it. And you still have some, it just feels better when you're wearing it. Okay. 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 Any other important points on, on the bite registration before we move on? Yeah, so I wanted to also talk about this again. Uh, we touched about it a, a little bit earlier. Is that uh, you know the reason why we do the index splint? If you still don't understand, it's because these have the lower pits and they fully embrace the upper uh, upper cusps, right? Mm -hmm. And this is this uh, the protocol says that this allows for uh, cranial bone movement and uh, stimulates muscle tone above and below the neck. And you know if uh, most a lot of uh, TMD uh, splints and stuff, they 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 recommend flat splints, and yes. uh, and this the problem with this is that every time you close, you're not really going back to the same position, and that actually also, it might be approximately the same spot, but uh, uh, it's it's in the rough area, but it's not the exact same position. So right, this is why that uh, you know and uh, you know Marcella claimed that if you do this actually, that it actually leads to like blockage of of the movement of the cranial bone. So. It's, it's, it's absolutely imperative that you do the fully indexed splint. And also, I think it's vital to mention that uh, in addition to the splint therapy that you do in stage one of the treatment, you also do myofunctional therapy. I know you have quite a bit of experience with it, right? So you have to do tongue exercises throughout the, the splint therapy. You also have to make sure that you mew and position the tongue in the right spot against the root of the roof of the mouth when you're not speaking or eating obviously you have to make sure that you keep in uh, the lips sealed and breathing through the nose uh, but at the start it might be you know quite tricky it's good if you're able to find like a reliable specialist that could work with you there is many of them available yeah, um, yeah. i mean there's ample i mean and that's a whole topic of its own you know that's the reason we want to i think it would be better if we keep it brief but uh uh, there's plenty of uh, material on YouTube and like personally, like I said, I actually learned it from someone who is like a actual myofunctional therapist who's been doing it for 30 years, you know, and it really benefited me, honestly. And uh, in fact, we, the exercises in the full um, spectrum of, uh, you know, tools they teach you, um, it really helps. Like it still sticks with you for life. And um, yeah, I mean, if you can't uh, afford to do that or find someone nearby, you can absolutely just access the ton of uh, free information on this topic on YouTube. Okay. Okay. Um, so before we go any further into stage two of, of the protocol, can you just describe, describe briefly what, what was the outcome for you? Like in terms of how, you know, what, 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 what were the improvements that you felt? This concludes part one of our discussion of the DIY treatment protocol. To hear part two, listen to episode seven of our podcast.